What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. So who are we here with, Mom? We're here with Domino Kirk, who... Um, we did, um, uh, we interviewed for what's underneath three years ago, which I can't even believe it's three years <laughs> yeah, it's and unconsciously crazy. I'm wearing a camouflage jumpsuit one, jumpsuit. And I think maybe it's a I really was like, good one. I was channeling Domino who that's what she was wearing when she did her what's underneath episode. I was also re listening to it not too long ago and it was an incredibly moving moment and interview for us because of her honesty and transformation that she went through turning her own pain of her own childhood to becoming as we called her in the video the title of her video is mother supreme as uh as a doula as an amazing amazing doula and um it's just um very inspiring always for us when we see people turning pain into beauty and that's that's what we're obsessed with and and she's pretty much one of the queens queens of that aside from being the mother um to all these people that are giving birth um but you know she has a a a gorgeous nine-year-old who she's an incredible mother too so we're really excited to be here with her now and to catch back up Um, yeah and just so you know it's just a totally organic conversation as Per usual, except this time you don't have to get undressed. That's okay. That's <laughs> great. I'm really fine with getting undressed <laughs> with you guys. I could do you it, could do it again. over and over again. <laughs> Let's just do it. So how are you feeling today, Domino? I'm feeling really good. I've been like, it's interesting. I've been dealing with um, a, a, a lot of thyroid issues, a lot of um, self-care, but not just like in the woo-woo sense, but like really like, wow, I actually have like, adrenal like I have had like an autoimmune disease that has been really crippling and um it's making me think in like the the grander scale about how when people give birth they don't ever really come back from it the same so Mm. it's like I can't tell you how many people give birth and then they say oh I just I had postpartum depression and now I'm just sort of always a bit sad and a little bit overweight and like oh but that's just after having babies and and I'm now realizing after 10 years of doing this like I actually had like a broken thyroid and I just dealt with it recently and I like took medicine and did all the right things took the herbs did all the like witchy things that weren't working on their own and I've been feeling like a different person it's like a cloud I was like underwater for nine years um and it's making me go, wow, there are just so many people who give birth and then just settle for this idea of, like, who they are now. You know, mums are exhausted, mums are depressed, mums, you know, become, like, these one-woman shows and, like, don't know how to communicate to their partner. You know, I'm just, there's a, I have a much deeper understanding now of the postpartum body and, like, what that really is. And I wonder why nature does that. I wonder why. I mean, giving giving birth is can be quite violent you know into your environment and to yourself and to the people to your family it's like you go through such a radical change um it becomes if you had like a lover suddenly it's like a business partner and suddenly you're just you know all of the nice things that attracted to you to that person sort of out the window because you need them so much in like a very real way um right so people are Uh, people are getting divorced by the time the child's two because it wasn't what it used to be or it wasn't the person I had I married or the person I thought you know before they had the baby so it's just 
But there's so much that I'm realizing, like, if people had more knowledge about, um, I don't know, just like that level of wellness, like, sure, we all go back to the midwife or the OB and we get our blood drawn and they say, oh, this looks a little off. But then we, we don't go back to the doctor for like, who haven't, you know, who knows how long. Um, so I just have this whole other respect for, um, for medicine right now because I've always been the one that took the herbs and did the diet because I hate medicine. Right. And I'm not, it wasn't working fast enough. Like, so what, was, hap- what were your symptoms and what, what's um, helped it? Well, I mean, I started meditating like five years ago and that was really helpful for just ov- overall rage that I, I grew up with a lot of rage and grew up around a lot of alcohol. So like all my, all I knew was ragey and mood disorders So I was like, okay, I'll just meditate and I'll just be a better mum because I'm a meditator. And it did help with my moods overall. Um, But the attempting to adjust my, like, my adrenal fatigue with herbs, like, it just wasn't working. I think it was even making it worse because I was, like, saying no to all these foods, which felt, I love food, I love eating, I get so much joy from being with people. When I eat, I don't drink anymore, so you know, when I go out and eat, I want to eat everything. And like mm-hmm. the idea that I couldn't eat anything for Why a while. Why is that? Because there's, be- there's a lot of belief around thyroid that if you, you know, taking out all the grains and taking out all the fun foods to address, you know, so that the body can have more energy. Um, because to break down all those foods, it, it wipes your body out. So you had low, low thyroid. I have ho- uh, Hoshimoto's which is like hypo, but next level hypo. Like like the doctor read my blood, like got my blood test back and asked me how I got out of bed in the morning because of how low it was. And I was like, oh, I don't, don't all people feel like this with a, with a five-year-old and, a, who, and when you're divorced and you have five, don't you all feel exhausted and sad all the time? And they're like, mm, no. I had a really, really challenging birth. And I thought, oh, it's because I'm traumatized. Oh, it's because it was obstetrical violence. It was being what 20. violence? Obstetrical violence. Oh. Um, lots of interventions mm-hmm. and lots of ego. A lot, I mean, I could talk about that. That's a whole podcast mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is the birth of my son. But it was being 25 and being a sort of alcoholic and like being like... Um, that's why I was sad. And like, I actually didn't think that there was like a physiological thing. I had depression growing up. So I was like kind of used to being in that cozy bubble of depression. Um, I didn't realize that I think I addressed my thyroid briefly when before my son was one. And then the medicine they prescribed like didn't work. I felt like my hair was falling out. I was still breastfeeding. I felt horrible breastfeeding while taking the medicine. It was like a whole thing. So I just to speed called, up your thyroid. Yeah, it was yeah. like, let's just take this and sort it out and get back to life. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to take medicine. I'm not, I'm not that mom. And then judging myself that's so harshly, thing. that's another podcast. I could <laughs> not no, talk about it. No, it's like to take medicine, <laughs> to take the help, to take the hand, like cl- closed mouths don't get fed. Right. So it was there. I was sort of like, I'll be, I'm going to just sort of white knuckle this and be like a really good young mom. And like my energy will come back on its own. Um, There's a lot of shame around, around taking medicine. Yeah. And like taking care of yourself and like doing all the things like eat better, take some herbs and take the medicine that is proven to work. Then when you're out of the woods, then you can just take ashwagandha and like call it a day. But it's like with anti with antidepressants, that huge stigma around like I should be happy. It's not it's not natural to take this medicine, but it's also not natural to be depressed. Right. You know, like on that level. So when I have friends or clients who are like, I take Prozac or I'm on this, I'm like, so what? Right. Great. You wouldn't wash a dish without detergent. Like, you know, it's like you mm-hmm. need it. And then, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes you need that like kick like something sometimes you need it and then you can coast you know after you've gotten over that hump right for me like being on call for women for nearly 10 years waking up at three in the morning and like not knowing what time I was going back to bed like really zapped my body um that is very stressful actually yeah and just like never really knowing like how long I'd be gone and then how my own child might suffer while I was gone and 
um that was really intense and I it was my job so I actually like didn't think about it I just went to work you know until I started to really feel it in my body like the meditation as I was saying really helped my mental health but my body was like dragging you know and uh, um, I actually had two miscarriages in last year after I got married and I I chalked it up to like not being ready and like all these woo-woo things like you know (laughs) but then the doctor was like no your thyroid is broken and that's why your body can't hold babies and I was like oh shit okay and I, I sort of paused and was like miscarriage really normal I've supported so many people through miscarriage um I've been there you know as like I've said before with you guys I've been there for stillborn babies miscarriage for me is like oh yeah me too like it's a it's a real thing in my world um so it was easy to deal with the miscarriage but it wasn't easy to understand to understand and accept that it was my body that was sort of tired and like incapable of holding these babies that was the kick in the pants that I got and really made me go okay I'm taking this medicine why do you think um it's so hard in this culture I don't know the self-care like what's the fear of just kind of needing help or you know what I I think it's just there's this part of our brain or ourself that feels like we should just be able to do it on our own and like we we have this like built-in system that knows how to get back on our feet and like I mean for me I sort of I have two categories I have like the survival skills that I learned how to get by in my family like I know how to get through a day but I didn't know how to live well that was really those two were very different for me like I know how to struggle and to just make it by the skin of my teeth emotionally in love everything was just like struggle and then like victory and then struggle and then victory and I didn't know how to just like be okay all the time you know and I I think when you grow up what I've heard learned learned from people who grew up similarly to me is, is that when your environment is so unpredictable and you never know what mood someone's gonna be in and you're always waiting for some sort of bomb to drop like you just you have sort of no choice at least when you're younger to just sort of recreate that and um so I think people I mean for me like taking care of myself was like not drinking for three days you know and like or it was not eating like greasy food or you know but that deeper feeling that deeper understanding of like what it meant to take care of my whole self was like completely foreign to me until I think until I actually stopped drinking, like fully. And I never, I wasn't like a diehard alcoholic, like blackout, but I would drink to socialize. I didn't know how to hang out with people and look in their eyes unless I had at least one drink in me. When did you stop? Five years ago. You were saying that it's, that there was the struggle and then, um, and you knew how to survive that struggle, but you didn't know how to find the balance. Yeah, I think, I, I think the struggle growing up with, them well what happened was I just ended up feeling like the adult all the time because I was a naturally like pretty sensible person and like I never I feel like once I got older and I realized that my parents were just like tall children I was like (laughs) oh wow um I don't feel safe and shit I have never felt safe with you like in that way that where I can relax I struggled to relax as a kid I didn't Mm. sleep in I never missed school because I was had a fever like nothing not like if I had a fever I was going to school like there was no um I don't have memories growing up of being in a household where there wasn't a thousand and one things going on and I look back and I'm like my my parents were in a really Um, in a marriage that was much more superficial than I wanted to believe like they loved each other and they were drawn like hot for each other but they didn't really like know each other and they had kids sort of in a hurry and like the foundation of my childhood was extremely rocky Um, and but I had lots of siblings so we sort of leaned into each other and I had a a nanny who was a, a, a young Welsh woman who was my she was my touchstone but she, I knew she wasn't my relative so I was like uh there's a person in this house who cares about me I think a little bit more than my own mother 
because she's picking me up from school. She's bathing me. She's making my meals. And my mom's like in her office somewhere. You know, I was like, this is confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I just got lots of mixed messages. So by the time I was like out of the house, I only knew how to like, just like take the temperature of everyone all the time. I like never knew how to just relax and like live. It was always like, okay, who's this person and what are they doing? And, you know, it was just trust issues. I like didn't, didn't trust anyone to take care of me. So I was always the one taking care. And then having a child at that age, I think was just more about like, I'm going to be able to do this better than you guys. A little bit like I had to prove something and also had all these other feelings about his father and our child was just like so strong. It was like so meant to be. But once he was here, like all my issues around not being mothered very well and like what it means to have like a functioning family, like all that stuff came out in the wash. Um, right away or like right away yeah it was always it was even happening in labor that's so fascinating you taught you touched on that in the in the what's underneath video Mm -hmm. um and I think you were talking about how in labor and in pregnancy everything comes out and me coming from the olden days at this point (laughs) because I'm 60 um we didn't even think about anything like that so I mean the idea that in your pregnancy and in your labor you're actually um, transmitting all of your trauma. You talked about that. I think that's yeah, a great I thing mean, for people to hear about. There's, I mean, it's a, if you're a birth attendant or in birth work at all, it's like, that's sort of what we live by. Like the whole idea or the thing, the mantra for me is that people birth how they live. So if someone has had sexual abuse or any history of substance or crazy, you know, family upbringing, whatever it is, like there's no way they can, avoid that in their labor unless they run to the hospital and slap that epidural in their back and just lay in bed and read an us magazine like basically they're not going to get away with anything I can't I've been to you know hundreds of births at this point and I honestly can't think of one labor where if I knew they had any abuse history that the labor wasn't somehow reflecting that how was it reflecting it for you people asking for parents saying you know mummy and like being like really like true digression um long labors where they last way longer and their bodies are not progressing or opening um a lot of holding we know how to hold trauma in our bodies like it's not good for us but we Mm. all do it on some level and in labor if you're holding you're actually going to hold your baby in Like, it's amazing. I've seen people be right about to push their children out into the world and stop their labor with their heads. It's fascinating. Wow. Like, you know, and sometimes I know, like I said, when we did our episode together, like I know maybe sometimes if they've had an event or a thing, if they're talking about it, but sometimes people don't tell me anything. Like, and they won't open their legs when they push their baby out. And I'm like, okay, I just got chills to my, you know, chills to my ankles. You have been, you know, abused or assaulted in some way. You will not, you know, you don't like it when people come from behind. You don't like it when people say certain things. You don't like it when a man comes in the room that is a resident and you've never seen him before. Some people are like, fine, just get the baby out of me. And some people are like, they are managing everything in the room. For me, it was holding, it was uh, laboring for days and days, um, not feeling quite safe with my birth team. Not I had chosen a midwife that reminded me of my mum, so it didn't go very well. Um, but I also was really drawn to like really like hot-headed and like ferocious sort of unstable powerhouse women back then. Like I had lots of older women friends who were weirdly competitive with me and like jealous of me or like God, who knows what, but just had like stuff going on underneath. It wasn't an overt loving friendship. Um, I had tons of those friends back then. And then I picked the midwife that had the biggest ego, basically. I mean, I love her and I've been a doula for her since I've given birth with her, but I picked her based on her ego. I knew meeting this midwife that it was going to be challenging because she was reminding me so much of my mom. Um, But I picked her anyway. So with your own personal journey to, so that's like, there's the struggle and how you learn to be in the struggle and to overcome each thing and kind of, okay, made it, made it, and Mm -hmm. then feeling unsafe in the world. 
Um, and then how, how have you learned to, um, what's been the process of, um, surrendering and, and trying to be more at peace with the universe and, and understanding I mean, that the world is actually safe and yeah, all that's, of that. it's a long, it's been a journey. I mean, it's like, a. I think age is real, like aging and time and time takes time, right? So it's sort of like, okay, I've, it's been a while, I, like being a victim and constantly telling like stories of my childhood in my head to validate things I was doing or not doing, like that got really old. Meaning um, like, oh, it's okay, I can drink because I had a hard childhood. Yeah, oh. I had a hard childhood, no one paid attention, I was molested, mm -hmm. all these Your things. Story. Like, yeah. here's my story, so bad, so horrible, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to you. I know, isn't it terrible? Drink, 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 mm. sex everywhere, sex with everyone. And like losing, like not knowing, you know, who that person was because I was in the story um and I definitely I went to Al-Anon meetings and adult children of alcoholics meetings 12-step meetings helped me a lot um I really liked the community around it um it really helped me build trust in people again Tr a lot more trust in things that I couldn't see mm -hmm. I was so attached to like the stories and the people and nostalgia I was deeply nostalgic person always in fantasy but I always had like, I had a very rich fantasy life as kids do, but mine I think went a little, I went a little further with it because my environment was to. so, I had to. So I have like vivid memories of like creeping out onto my fire escape and imagining like someone would just come get me, you know, like, and sitting there and waiting for them. <laughs> like, and I remember wow. being as young as like five and packing a bag and putting it under my bed and, and you know, waiting to, just in case the house burnt down you know like I was a vet if we I remember getting in a car once and we nearly hit another car and we swerved off the road and everyone like took a deep breath and like got on with the drive and I imagined us dying like I was a very sort of morbid kid that always saw like the the worst case scenario because I think I was really seeing the worst in people you know or the truth or the truth, I don't know. I mean, I was like, oh God, if you were saying the truth. the truth and you were young. Very yeah, it was young, very it was too much. It, it was, was too much. Yeah, it wasn't. No one was sort of like taking care of your needs. Yeah, not really. You had I to mean, be the parent. But I think it's generational too. I really do. Like my parents grew up in the fifties with drunks as their, you know, way worse alcoholism and you know workaholism than than me. I think kids back then were just a detail. You know, I mean, I think my dad was like locked in a cupboard so his parents could go to the pub. I mean, like, I mean, that was okay. So I have a lot more compassion when I hear these stories because I'm like, you actually have no idea how to be a parent. And you figured it out as you went, al went along and so did I and I think we all do. So have you been able, How? what is the forgiving part of all of this? Like, how, where are you with all of that? And like, what does that look like? Because I, that's, I think that's a, I just have less, is a have less expectation. I think what was killing me was that I was I was wishing that my parents could have been different. I was wishing that my son's father could have been like all this. I these ideas of who these people could be if they would only dot dot dot. I stopped that, and then I just started. I mean, Al-Anon and all these groups that help you deal with people who are addicted to substance, like they help they helped a lot because I think when someone's that detached or hung over or that checked out, like if you're their friend or their lover or their sibling, like you spend a lot of your time wishing they were present. You're like, Oh, I just wish you weren't fucking hung over right now. Like then we could actually talk. And like, I, I had that before I knew what it was. So it's like, I think what happened more recently was just um, accepting people for where they were exactly mm -hmm. in that moment. A lot more acceptance, like radical acceptance of people and really loving them for where they were and not pushing my agenda on, on them. Mm -hmm. I think what I realized along the way is that I was always very codependent, always healing and helping and fixing and that gave me power. But I realized somewhere along the way that like being that person or posing as like a healer or taking care of everyone taking care of everyone yeah. that's not being a loving person there's a huge difference between 
being like a healer or a guru I actually cringe when people say they're healers I cringe me too like it's just it's just all what does that mean what is nah. I don't know I just I always <laughs> and who like, are you I'm like I'm always like what's your life like and what right. are you whenever you and dig deep you, with these people like, right yeah and well, I uh, so just, I just epitomized by wild wild country have you seen that no not series? yet I don't watch telly I have to watch more tv um, you got to watch that so one because that's like the epitome of it all oh yeah oh my right God. it's about the culty yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um but yeah wait, that, so that's really what shifted is I just stopped feeling high off of that being that person for people and I think that really and people changed people started feeling more relaxed around me because I wasn't little judge Judy walking around everywhere being like oh you could do that a bit better and we could be closer if and you know, and people feel you were being that conditional yourself. It's, you were, it's yeah. tension. It's you're not just like, hey. And and how does that? How did that? How do you feel that that mirrored your own acceptance and your own relaxation within yourself? Well, um, it helped. It helped me understand that if I was suddenly really addressing all of these issues in my social life or in my love life or in my family, like they say, I think in Al-Anon at least, you know, those groups, it's like you come in here with all these these stories and all of the, a lot of blaming and a lot of victimizing and martyrdom and all the rest of it. But you end up realizing that the person in there that, that you should be forgiving first, who was the worst person to you, was you. Changes I am, everything. I'm my biggest qualifier. I'm the person that, you know, was the meanest to myself, you know. Um, and I think from there anything's possible so that that was really what changed I mean initially getting that kind of help and learning about self-care quote-unquote like um I would just go into these meetings and just or just um just sort of complain about people and you know toot my own horn a lot we'll just sit and cry for like hours where do you think that that person crying in the corner the whole meeting and be like where does the meanness to oneself, that beating oneself up like that, why does that happen? Like, what is that coming from exactly? Like, in, 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 um, I, I grew up with lots of sisters and I grew up with a lot of, comp- it was a lot of competition in my family. And I think I was just, I was just very um, hard on myself uh, because whether my mum meant to or not I was pitted against my siblings a lot and even my brother too like we were all sort of I feel like in families everyone's assigned you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that and you're gonna fuck it up and you're gonna bail her out and then you're gonna do better and you're gonna be more beautiful and you're you know and it's like everyone's being handed scripts I feel like in big families at least I same mm-hmm. I mean my husband I think all families. yeah all families like my husband's an only child and you know um he explains you know he says similar things and I always I'm always like oh no it's because I had all these siblings and it was a shit storm he's like no I was alone and it was the same so yeah in all families I feel like you're sort of assigned your roles and you're supposed to play them out and you and often you know I feel like we get pretty far with them and then we see them not working or yeah or like it's like you take on this role to survive this yeah difficult situation this it was a survival tactic and then the sure. survival tactic becomes sort of closes in on you as an adult yeah i'm still you can't run i'm away still from nine and yeah you I'm can't still... run away from these things it doesn't matter how doesn't far matter. you move to yeah and i think that i was i was pretty i think i was very hard on myself because it was just um I didn't get a lot of, I didn't get a lot of nurturing. I didn't get a lot of like. You didn't know how, going back to what you were saying, how to to take care of yourself. I didn't learn how to do that. I just, I just sort of, you know, I didn't have like hand holding, you know, eye to eye, knee to knee experience with my parents. So I didn't have anyone really signing off on anything I did. I was just very critical and very hard on myself because. Not feeling enough. Like, yeah, because you because it, it was just me and myself and me judging, and not, I didn't have a parent saying no. That's that's great. Well done, you. Like mm-hmm. it was just sort of like, oh, I think I could be better, or I could be thinner, or I could be more this or more that. Like, um, and then maybe I'll get the love, and then I'll get the love. Mm-hmm. For, in my family, it was a lot of physical growing up, and a lot of about appearances, and then more when I when I got older, it was about career, 
and and I I just always stayed the course though like I never I struggled through it but I always kept did what I felt ultimately your own course yeah like being a doula wasn't my family's plan for me they always saw me doing this other thing and I just kept going where I was headed and I had a lot of a lot of kickback from my family but yeah it's it's funny now I see them and I just see them as I do see them as children and I do accept them all a lot more um my my parents specifically I don't have as much anger and I think overall there is just there's just a lot more peace than ever because I don't I accept um that they didn't really know what they were doing have you always been um like so comfortable being so open about yes (laughs) I love I I think I've always been very just like I I just like put it all on the table even when I was you know I was the one that people told everything to like, would you, are these types of, do you speak honestly with your parents about these sorts of things? Or I do and I don't, because you have to be careful, right? Because I don't, I'm not trying to punish mm-hmm. like people for being who they were. I think my mom has made so much, you know, she's made such an effort to look at this stuff. Um, losing her parents, of course, it all came out in the wash for her. Like she's in her own process, you know, and like, um, I think I'm getting much better at, not you know just not blaming and and um knowing myself like having more boundaries like when you hang out Mm -hmm. with that person that makes you crazy whether it's your mom or your ex or and you have to see them every day or however much you you I just know that after like two hours I gotta leave Mm -hmm. you know you just start Mm -hmm. knowing how to be it's not that black or white thing anymore Mm -hmm. I used Mm -hmm. to be very like I have friends and family like I have friends and people in my family who really believe in just that Like if that person isn't serving you, they have to be out and like not talking to family for years on end. And like, it doesn't help though. It just, it's lives in you. And I don't know, maybe birth has like taught me that more than anything. What Mm -hmm. do you mean by that? Just watching the process of giving birth of, of the pregnancy journey and giving birth. It's just like nothing. Um, we are all just like storehouses, like storage units, you know, it's like, um, and that's like you can't, even if you don't speak to your family, it's not like you're just like, oh, they're gone. I've, yeah. Like people who are like, oh no, I don't talk to that person. We don't talk. I moved when I was, uh, oh, okay, cool. And then on, when they're in labor, they're asking for that parent. Mm-hmm. like it's just like there's no really disconnecting no, from those situations it's and like all that pain, tentacles yeah. it's all like these invisible like right we're all connected know. we are literally <laughs> literally connected to each other mm-hmm. like literally yeah but also like you can't think that that type of like fundamental like pain and yearning and desire mm-hmm. for like a parent mm-hmm. is ever gonna like go away even no. if you like recognize that your parents like mm-hmm. weren't what they could have been or didn't provide as much love as they could have like I think probably it's more beneficial to just accept that that's a pain you're going to have in your heart forever mm-hmm. than to like try to like get rid of it. Because once you see what it see it for what it is and you accept that mm-hmm. it's there, there's so much that can be done with it. Mm-hmm. It's just that sort of like, oh, I don't want to have this, you know, mm-hmm. that like oh, get rid of it, resisting, resisting it and the fight around it mm-hmm. that makes it crazy or the fact, you know, overthinking it and mm-hmm. just let it be there. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. that's my biggest thing now is I mean, meditation is big, you know, any kind of meditation, whatever you're doing, however you're doing it. You know, the whole thing is just not attaching to the thoughts and the feelings and the memories that come up when you're sitting there for mm-hmm. however long. And I think if you can have that as like a living breathing, that's like a living meditation. Like the goal is to be in like a state of that, right? I think mm-hmm. at least that's how I try to be. And I don't think I could have been in this sort of clearing I'm in now if I kept drinking, even if I wasn't like a day in, day out drinker even getting lost once a week and leaving my body once every, you know, once a month or whatever it was like that was affecting the way I, who I was in the world, like Mm -hmm. who I presented in the world. And like, and also every time I would complain about someone was because of their substance abuse. So there I was complaining about everyone, but then I was getting drunk myself. So it didn't, Mm -hmm. it was like, how can you talk about your abusive childhood and all your drunk, you know, drug addicted family and still take drugs and still drink? Like, no, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not matching. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe 
and give us a good rating so the powers that be can keep this podcast going. So was it a hard process for you to like become sober and... Mm-mm. It was so once I was like, oh wow, life is so much easier right now. Like not doing, not doing this. Why? Um, How so? I just like who I am more. I just prefer. It's an e- it's easier to sift out like the people who are really, um, I guess, the people who are really in your corner, um, from the ones that aren't. I have less friends. I'm nowhere near as cool in that way. Like I don't go to the things I'm invited to, like not because I'm like better than anyone. It's just that I know that I won't be able, like it's just not going to be a great situation for me if I go to that thing or that party or that, you know, I, I, I was very recently invited to a party that would have been really fun in like the old days, but I, and it still would have been fun, but I think I've, I've started to pay attention to the way I feel when I leave places. So it's like, if I go to that place and I see that person and I feel worse than when I went in, then maybe that's not working. Like mm-hmm. whatever that is. And often these parties or these things I get invited to, I don't feel better when I leave, you know? And I don't know what that's about. Is it me like judging everyone like crazy while I'm there? Or is it because that those people aren't really considering me that that's not real? No one's teaching mm-hmm. me anything. Seeing I'm you not, for who you are or yeah. accepting you for who you are. I don't think people realize what alcohol or drug addiction really is like they don't they think when it's couched because I think that it's more what's around it Mm -hmm. in some ways or as much what's around it as the actual thing Mm -hmm. so they think well I'm not I'm not that I'm not this dropped I'm not dropping down drunk every day but I'm running at five o'clock and I can't make a plan for anything else because I have to have you know or you know, I think there's things around addiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could get together right. with a bunch of mums and have a bottle of wine and no one would bat an eyelid. But I was going home to my kid drunk. I was like buzzed with my one-year-old and then breastfeeding him. Right. And then feeling shit and being like, why do I feel so shit? I just had a bottle of wine. Everyone drinks wine. There's so much addiction. I would pump and dump, by the way, just so you know. I didn't oh. breastfeed with, you know, oh. alcohol in my system. Well, I'm, what I'm, <laughs> I just think that there, there's so much, like so much of addiction is not, there's so much shame around it and yeah. there's so much, um, and it's couched in these rituals and ceremonies mm-hmm. kind of that we do every day, social things or, or whatever, but in, in actuality, it's addiction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and then, and then I think a lot of kids of that are growing up in that then see think it's okay too mm-hmm. because they don't see it as addiction because it's couched in these rituals. And do you agree I mean, with that? I, grew, I mean, I, I grew up in a party house, so the kids were upstairs asleep while the, the adults had fun downstairs. And like, I have a vivid memory of falling asleep always to the hum of a crowded living room. You know, like that actually helped me fall asleep. So I was like, oh, my house is full and I feel, I feel safe. And I, but what made me feel safe was feeling very unsafe, I guess. It was just like, oh, this is, this is familiar. Like, so being out at night, being in parties, like being, going to these events and like, I don't know, it was just, yeah, it was mm-hmm. the ritual of it. Um, There's a familiarity and you were, a tr- so that familiar. The, 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 I think a lot of us are unconscious of some of these, of things that we do, addictions that we do that are familiar, that are, that are things that we're drawn to that aren't good for us because Mm -hmm. they were things from the past that are attracting us to it, but you don't really realize that you're doing that. And it's, I think you just end up like the, if, if you're uncomfortable, my friend said, if you're uncomfortable, you're, you're headed in the right direction. Like it's like, I've been so uncomfortable being married. I hate marriage. I'm bored by it. I'm like, ugh, this person every day, same thing over and over again. Like, you just got married. I just got married. So it's For the like second or first first time. I wasn't married to my my um, son's father, but I, I getting married, just taking that leap of faith and believing that there was something in that in that arrangement that was going to be healing for me and actually like a good thing for my son, even though I actively co-parent, it's still like creating this foundation that maybe I didn't get. And I think you, when we grow up in like dysfunction, there's like loyalty to it. You know, you want to like, it's like the mafia, like, or like you don't want to like tell on it. You're not like that was bad and I'm going to do better. You sort of just want to like 
carry the torch um or part keep participating in the drama yeah and so i've been like deeply uncomfortable for five years of just being getting healthier and healthier and healthier and feeling it and being like i hate this i hate it i just want really uncomfortable for that i want to i want to feel comfortable again i want to be with the person i know i can take care of i want to like get a little tipsy really and maybe like text someone that it's from my past because they will write back and like you know just like let me just like feel a little bit bad like I hate feeling like pure and open <laughs> and like like not hungover or like not any you know it's it's mm-hmm. not hungover. safe with and someone just, married to someone who safe. wants to be married to yeah. oh someone who you don't have to take care of or you're not worried is having an affair with your friend or his is on tour or like drinking to like maybe like dead in a ditch somewhere like I mean this was me this was me in my early 20s and so granted like it's not who that person is anymore and who I am anymore but then like I definitely grew up with some my mom was constantly wondering where my dad was and I definitely had like low level suspicion in my house Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. like you were always sort of like hairy eyeballing everyone it's very weird feeling to not wonder if that person's telling the truth mm. and just to be like oh yeah I actually just trust everything you just said wow well it's like what isn't it what you're saying that in a way we like we're normalizing this like bad behavior and mm-hmm. like and then getting and then growth f- away from it the growth and the healing is, is uncomfortable, uncomfortable. It's yeah. so uncomfortable I and really I was I really all, and everything when I was younger was always really urgent like if it was and my friend also told me this very this wise wise woman who I really see as sort of like a mentor that she said if it's urgent it's not important to people who grew up in alcoholic homes it's like okay is everyone safe is anyone dying no one's dying everyone's safe okay fine it's like always like ready to pounce and if that is happening for me now if I feel like something's urgent I got to talk to someone I got to be somewhere I don't do anything because I, I really You're panicking. Yeah, it's like being in a state of like high panic and anxiety was really normal for me. Catastrophizing the world's falling apart. You feel safe. It's like fight or flight is fight like or flight is so comfy because you're needed oh, and yeah. you like to be needed and solving problems yeah. and like so something being calm and like yeah peaceful, calm and peaceful safe. and loving. And mm-hmm. I just those things I that those things happen for and to everyone else but me with your career and Mm. being a doula and like having this very unpredictable and intense schedule and like where you have to give everything yeah how are you like dealing with that as you're coming into like this chapter of wanting to take care well I actually got I'm not on call anymore I took myself off call to really take care of my adrenal stuff which was starting to be really, really bad. Meaning like, um, so you, your other doulas that you've like, your, yeah. your community is on call. I'm teaching a lot. I'm training doulas and I'm um, expanding Carriage House. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not personally on call anymore. And it's the first time in nine years that I haven't been on call. And so it's, and that's huge for me too. It's sort of like, oh, wow. Like I can make a plan and not fear that I'm going to disappoint someone. And oh my God, like this, this is the biggest act of self-care that I've ever given myself. It's like actually like taking myself out of the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, you know, my work is, is that we, I don't have to be on call right now. And that's great in terms of just like financially supporting myself. Carriage house birth is at a point where we can just sort of coast a little. And so I'm just really enjoying it. And I would never in the past have given myself permission to do that you know Mm -hmm. it's like go go and the busying of keeping myself that busy was all I knew how to do Mm -hmm. um how is it feeling to not be needed that urgently yeah and also to not give yourself that space anytime I see a pregnant person I'm like oh do you have a doula like um because there's a part of me that wants to just like engage and maybe I'll take a few clients like no big deal and then I'll be with my husband or a friend of mine who will say, Domino, you're not on call. Like, why are you talking to these people about? And I'm glad now that I have an agency because I can get everyone doulas and they don't have to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really nice. But I see it in myself. It's like a little a little voice that comes up in me that says, like, you're too relaxed. You have too much time on your hands. You know, it's really crazy. It's like, are you feeling better? Oh, my God. 
it's like night and day. Like I had no idea what I had put myself in. As much as I loved my work, I was at the mercy and sort of bleeding for like people constantly. And it really, I just was replicating, you know, what it, what it felt like to grow up the way I did. But being the mother to the nurturer, the taking care of everything, the oldest in the, the oldest, right? Oldest girl. I think just being on, I don't know, like just being on call. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are like labor and delivery nurses and if I sit with them long enough or have a coffee with them, I, I, we all grew up similarly. You know, you fi- like being at, the, being at the ready. In the doula training that Carriage House offers, we're really talking about boundary setting mm-hmm. and not telling your story. And when you're meeting these complete strangers and you're holding such crazy space for these people, like know who you are in that. Because mm-hmm. um, it is sacred space. It is life and death. And if you're in there just like projecting your stuff onto your, these people, it's or if you're giving too much, like what are you taking away from your own life? So I love our doula training because it's very inclusive and very current and very holistic and really focuses on like the doula, has, who is that person, you know. What's been a, um, a, a high, high moment um, in your in your work, like a moment, like what's, I think honestly training doulas has been the best feeling of the of my whole career because it's giving back in a way that I didn't think I was going to ever be able to do like when I became a doula I, it was very lonely like I got all these tools and tricks and then I was just told to like go out in the world and be a doula and I had no idea um, how challenging it would be and how lonely it would be. It sounds so kind of romantic and sort of yeah, wonderful. Yeah, you feel and... like a superhero, but then you come home and you're like, whoa, I just witnessed some crazy, like, violent acts and I can, and, you know, I'm really intuitive as we all are and, like, you know, I just felt all this drama in this family and, like, oh, my God, I have to, like, carry this home with me and, like, I think um, for so long I wondered when I was going to be able to, like, share all the the tips and the tricks that I'd learned to like bring myself back. Cause if you do that sort of work too long and you don't know how to connect back, you will burn out, uh, you know, it'll seep into your relationships in a big way. Like, um, yeah, because you're just, you have nothing to give. You've been, you're tapped. Does it ever feel kind of thankless? Do you ever walk away and feel, okay, I, well, I'm really not part of this really? It's or? funny. I do go through that. I think anyone in that, like the service world, like on any level, really, I, you know, I'll definitely see people I've been the doula for. And I, per, I personally will, won't remember like maybe the parents' names, but I remember their birth or, um, because all I'm really doing is holding space, right? So it's not like I'm their best friend. That I have really good boundaries now. So I am providing a job where they could just shake my hand and say, thank you and goodbye. And like, but I think when I was younger as a doula, I wanted them to think, to like embrace me. And I was like their doula and they'll talk about me until the kid is, you know, I'll be that, the story they'll tell, they'll tell their kid about me when the kid has grown or something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but like, that was a lot of ego as well. That's a lot of me just like tooting my own horn. Like really, I'm a doula. I help them get their kids earthside and then I am done, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I have, I've been there for lots of people who have said, oh, I think, yeah, we had a doula. I don't remember her name mm-hmm. I'm sure lots of my name's pretty memorable but like you know I I'm sure for people I'm just someone who helped them one day or four days or whatever it was um what do you think is the biggest risk you've ever taken in your life having a kid honestly just like feeling so ill-prepared but so trusting of something higher that would take care of it all like fully knowing consciously that I was like completely ill-equipped and that me and his his dad are not weren't in places to really do that um that was but doing it anyway yeah that that was it just becoming a mom do you still feel like it's a risk or do you still feel like you're ill-equipped or that like how do you how do you feel sort of I'm learning a lot more how to be in relationships in general so it's like I I have a better relationship. I had this very over-exaggerated idea of what a mother should be because I I think I had the op- I didn't have that. So over years of wanting it, um, I I wanted Mother Supreme, 
but I never got Mother Supreme. So I was like, okay, I have to be Mother Supreme. And like now I'm, I think I'm just a lot more forgiving with myself. And I, tr and I talk to my son a lot about when I'm like doing something wrong or screw up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm having such a bad day. I'm so sorry. And he's like, oh, you're so, what's, you know, he, he we talk in this way where I hope he feels respected and heard. And I don't, cause I didn't, no one ever asked me if I, how I felt about something growing up. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I ask him constantly, how did you feel about that? And he's like, I don't know. You know, he like brushes me off a lot because he's nine and like basically going on 18 and has more testosterone in his body than like most people, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but he's very like, I consider him. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, um, mm -hmm. that's a really big deal for me because or that's a big realization I'm like wow I might not be the best mom and I might not see him every day but when I'm with him I really consider him mm -hmm. um and also like practicing this marriage has taught me this but also just like I don't know being getting older has taught me a lot about like I can't expect people to if I'm not giving something that I want you know whether it's like being a really patient mother or a really good wife who you know is playful and fun loving and helpful and like if I'm not doing those things I can't expect them to be given back to me mm -hmm. and that's been really key for me to like have a healthy have healthy relationships in general friendships or not or whatever it's just like if you're not giving the thing you want you will not get it um and that's like mm. become just like my like that I go from that point mm -hmm. that's the base that's the baseline for all of of for my life right now what is, uh what would you say is your biggest source of shame I have a lot of shame about not staying with my son's father I have a lot of shame about breaking the unit but I also you know I feel like there's a lot of um a lot of sort of old-fashioned these ideas that like children need to have the mom and the dad and mm -hmm. like the thing um I actually have a very loving arrangement with his dad but you know late at night I'll sort of wish that we were older and wiser and could have figured that out um because there is so much love there and we were young and drunk and um there was a lot of acting out you know so I, I think the shame but also like my parents stayed together their whole marriage you know since till we were grown and um, it was miserable because mm -hmm. I could feel how little they knew each other and how much they really didn't like or trust each other. And that might have been a bit more damaging than anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. in many, sometimes I feel like the big, the most loving thing I could have done with his dad was leave him, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and cause I was a really reactive person and a really controlling person. And he's a very, very, um, you know he's a, a rambling spirit and you can't contain those people mm -hmm. so I think by leaving was just sort of like hey I accept you you know mm -hmm. and um I accept you for who you are and how you're gonna live and trust you with our child and like so I think it's like oh that's as loving as it's gonna get mm -hmm. and if we had done the like the 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 happy home thing I don't know how happy it would have been mm -hmm. but it, it definitely haunts me for mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. And what are you most afraid of? Just, <laughs> uh, I think I'm the most afraid of ever going back to being not present. That, like, all the work I've done to sort of raise the bar for myself. Um, if I, if I slipped or if I became went delved back into something that would take me away from this space or like away from my son um and staying in that place like mm. that scares me a lot like I really have high hopes for this chapter of my life and like I really want to do everything I can to keep that ball in the air mm -hmm. and um be the person that I think my son deserves is mm -hmm. like it definitely it's like it does sort of rule my life um in a way because I just really want to be like a safe house and a touchstone for him so it, I just worry about I worry I've, I'm fearful of drama mm -hmm. I hate drama now 
<laughs> so I'm like, whenever dramas, if I can smell drama, I'm like, huh. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, what I'm trying to create is something so the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. If you could say anything to um, the little girl who is like sitting on the balcony <laughs> imagining, what Fire were you escape. imagining? Um, that I was just was hoping that someone was just going to come and get me. I don't yeah. know who, it, I would have gone with anyone. Yeah. Um, what would you say to her? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would just tell her to, to be patient and to hang in there I honestly like this whole being in your mid-30s thing is very I love it so much and like I know it's like there's a chemical component there's a hormonal component I'm really enjoying being in my 30s um if I met me then I would say I promise you it gets better and here's my number and let's meet up because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you're gonna want to know me Mm. (laughs) what does self-acceptance mean to you (laughs) um what is self-accept um for me it means being entirely present like it it means being you know I think I I spend a lot of time like remembering who I was when I was 19 remembering my 20s remember Mm -hmm. you know and like um that it even in all that nostalgia I don't feel it doesn't feel good because I'm not just like being with myself now um so I, I do notice that I, I'm i not that accepting of myself when I'm, even when I'm just walking down the street remembering a person from my, you know, like I think self-acceptance for me is doing everything I can to stay in the moment. Yeah. And sometimes like you asked me earlier about shame and I think sometimes the shame that creeps up on me is really like, why did it take so long for me to get it? <laughs> like, ugh, wasted so much time being so antsy and not being able to sit still I mean my son's father always said to me you don't know how to do nothing like yeah because there's there's so much to do Mm -hmm. we have a child and he was like oh my god Mm -hmm. but um a lot of it's not just him like I've had many people over the years say that you you don't know how to stop and you're you're all you're insatiable and um it's been really uh yeah it's been really amazing to feel what they were talking about Mm -hmm. well to me you're really young doing it and you're really lucky from my vantage point (laughs) because it's taken me twice as long Mm -hmm. it's never too late Mm -hmm. thank you thank you so much thank you domino that was amazing thank you very much such a treat for us (laughs) such an honor and a treat yeah and i can't stop staring at your um the white eyelet with the tattoos so oh thank you the combo of the eyelet. <laughs> I know it is. And the tattoos. That shirt. I'm just like, where the did shirt. you get that yep, shirt? It's a flea market. I don't know. It's, it's perfect. so amazing. It's perfect. It's, it is a fantasy world in and of itself, yeah. that shirt. But with the Wings. tattoos. <laughs> it's the eyelet with the tattoos. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, Help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleIQ. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution, on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. Life moves fast. It's good to take a step back and appreciate the little things in life. On Simply Complex, we dive into those professions, items, and processes we often drive past in a blur or take for granted in our daily rush. Subscribe to Simply Complex on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening most to take a deeper look into the deceptively simple things in our lives They're actually extremely complex. Do you like video games? Do you love PlayStation? Then I may just have the podcast for you. My name is Colin Moriarty, co-host of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, a weekly show dedicated to all things PlayStation 4, PlayStation VR, PlayStation Vita, and soon enough, PlayStation 5. Since I started professionally covering the gaming industry in 2002, a lot has changed. Games are deeper, more immersive, and more beautiful than ever. 
They're bringing players on adventures we never quite knew were possible and changing lives through the positivity of escapism. Our show celebrates all of that with a weekly burst of news and analysis and a healthy dose of laughs too, mostly delivered via my co-host, comedian, YouTuber, and gamer, Chris Reagan. If you're gigantic nerds like us with a passion for the PlayStation ecosystem, past, present, and future, we hope you'll join us for Sacred Symbols, available on CastBox and pretty much anywhere else you download your podcasts.